Chapter 37 Finn ran her hand across the railing, feeling its texture, pitted, worn, scarred, but solid. She lifted her hand and inspected her fingers for dirt. They were clean. Jack considered her inspection from beneath his furrowed and bristly eyebrows. Nearby, a young crewman named Roberts gulped and held his breath. He'd finished his task of scouring the rail and polishing the portside brass and wrung a soiled rag in his hands as he awaited Finn's judgment. Finn dropped her hand without speaking and moved forward along the rail to a freshly polished brass cleat. She scarcely believed it was the same cleat she'd used a hundred times herself, so high was the polish. She frowned at it and heard another distinct gulp from Roberts. She rubbed the cleat with her thumb and asked, How long did it take you to polish this, Roberts? Roberts popped his eyes wide at the question and scratched his head. Can't have took terrible long, Captain. You want I should polish it again? I want that you should teach Mr. Simmons how to polish proper. He started the starboard brass at the same time, yet it isn't half done, nor is it done half so well. Mr. Roberts stamped one foot on the deck and slapped himself in the chest. Aye, Captain. I can teach him good. You want I should kick him some. I got good boots for kicking. I can show him how to do. I'll show him how to rub it round in circles and spit on what needs spat, and I'll knuckle him up and kick him wise if I got to. Just tween you and me, Captain, I think I seen Mr. Simmons sitting down a bit ago to take him a break when there wasn't no one looking and— Quiet up, Roberts. Keep your boots to yourself and you do like the captain says, said Jack. Roberts smacked his mouth shut and trotted across the deck in search of Simmons. The snake's fitter than I ever seen her. The men are sharp. Jack shifted his eyes briefly toward the starboard. Well, except maybe that's Simmons. Fenn nodded. It's a wonder we ever ran her with so few of us. Well, no wonder about it. It was hard work and good seamanship. Twenty men together as one, men that know each other's minds. Men like that can run circles round a green crew of a hundred. Well, this isn't a green crew anymore. Jack snorted. Well, I'll allow they're a sharp bunch and quick learners. Reckon if I put my mind to it, I'd be proud of them, but they're far from salted. Finn continued her inspection. It was ridiculous that she should be inspecting work she ought to be doing herself, but, as Armand said, it was her duty to put on the mask. The men expected their captain to be hard. She inspected the decks, the hold, the standing rigging, the sails, the galley, the guns, the surgery, even the bilge. If she meant them to be loyal on their part, she had to be officious in hers. In the surgery, Finn discovered Lucas Thigham blinking wildly behind his spectacles and squirming in his clothes as he stood for his inspection. She opened one of the storage lockers on the bulkhead, and Thigham darted across the room. He hastily rearranged the ordering of a stack of books and then ran back to his place and wiped his face. Finn shot a look at Jack and smirked in wonderment. Inside the locker, Dr. Thigham's surgical instruments were arrayed neatly hung by pegs and hooks, and each shined to a mirror-like perfection. Even his bone saw was polished and shined. It twinkled like a sharp-toothed smile, and Finn winced at the memory of its work on Jack's leg. When she closed the locker, Dr. Thigham squeaked an alarm and dove to the floor where he plucked a speck of lint from the deck. He leapt up and hid it behind his back. Finn looked over at Jack again. He wasn't amused. Finn was. Finn sauntered across the room with her hands clasped behind her. She stopped in front of a sea chest tucked into the corner and opened it. The chest was packed with all manner of medical oddity. The lid was fashioned into a brace for dozens of colored vials filled with various potions, tinctures, and syrups. 
and the hollow of the chest itself was packed with rolls of bandages, arcane books, and an extensive collection of dried herbs. By hell, said Jack. The cause of Jack's curse was a human skull sitting atop it all. It was painted blue and looked up at them with an empty-eyed stare and a toothy grin. Jack reached down and snatched the skull out of the chest. From across the room, Lucas Thiggum yelped and ran to its rescue. Out it goes, Thiggum, yelled Jack. I don't abide the dead to keep birth. Bad luck, bad as there is. Jack had hold of the skull by the brain pan and was shaking it in the air as he decried it. Over the rail it goes, and you with it if I wasn't a Christian. Thiggum was in a terrible state. The little man went strawberry red and leapt into the air trying to grab the skull as Jack kept it just out of his reach. Give that to me. That's mine. Oh, no, I won't, you leg-thieving little cretin. The doctor managed to alter the rhythm of his jumping enough to catch Jack off his guard and get a solid handhold on the skull. A brief tug-of-war between the two ended with Dr. Thiggum clinging to the skull in desperation as he dangled a foot off the floor. He kicked his feet and looked like a man running in midair, going nowhere. Finn broke into a fit of laughter. Her outburst caused Jack and the doctor to cease their struggling and turn their attention her way. After a moment's reflection, Jack realized how preposterous the squabble was. He lowered the doctor to the floor and released the skull. Then, Jack, too, erupted in wails of laughter. The two of them carried on for some time while the doctor first hugged the skull to his bosom, then fetched a rag to polish it off before gently replacing it into the sea chest. Before she left the surgery, Finn wiped her eyes and cautioned the doctor to keep the chest secure and the skull inside so that the crew wouldn't see it. Finn didn't believe it was bad luck, as Jack claimed, but she did believe that a human skull on board could ignite the sort of self-induced luck that superstitious sailors thought it would. After the inspection, Jack mustered the crew. They gathered and leaned on the rails. They hung in the ropes and straddled the yards, all crowding around to hear their captain's address. As she stepped out of her quarters and scanned the deck, she saw uncertainty on their faces. Or was it fear? She'd asked much of them to sail so far and with no knowledge of their destination. They'd trusted her, and now they knew that trust was due to be tested. They knew that the end of the voyage was near. They knew it by the frequent battle drills and the inspection, and the simple fact that the ship was framed in by the Mediterranean, only days away from any port upon its shore. They knew that whatever purpose had sent them the thousands of miles across the Atlantic, it was now at hand. We're two days sail from Tripoli. Some of their faces remained blank and expectant, but others widened their eyes. A few scratched their chins in dire consideration, and some bulked outright. Tripoli is a nest of Barbary pirates, someone cried. Aye, that's why we're here. You were all told that this wouldn't be an ordinary crossing, and each of you agreed to sail, though you didn't know our destination or our aim. Finn paused, half expecting she'd have to call him a riot, but the men were silent. They were hungry for the truth. The revolution has need of us, and need of secrecy. Our destination is Tripoli. You're wondering why we fly a Spanish ensign. The Spanish have safe passage upon the Barbary coast. Remember that when we reach port, you are sailors of a Spanish merchantman. If questions, you will say that we set forth from Valencia a week prior to trade in Tripoli. Our true aim is the rescue of a woman held captive by the Pasha. 
Once again, Finn expected an uproar, but none came. To her surprise, they seemed to embrace the mission. She saw it in their eyes. They trusted her. They rested in the strength they believed her to have. Where they'd come by that belief, Finn could only guess, but it was there and she saw it. She watched one man nudge the sailor next to him, grit his teeth, and pound a fist into his open palm. Their drills had made them confident. The long crossing had made them anxious, and their captain had made them bold. They were ready for action. Finn related the rest of the plan such as it was, and fell silent. The crew was somber, every brow wrinkled in thought. Well, that is our aim, gentlemen. Will you have it? The oldest of the crew were the first to assent with nods and affirmative grunts, and the younger men followed until Finn could spot no dissenter. Good. Then go and make yourselves ready. Finn threw a glance up at Jack to let him know that she was done. His voice roared and the men split to their duties. For the rest of the day, Jack drilled the crew, and instead of keeping out of sight as she usually did, Finn stayed among them. She walked the decks in silence. She kept a hard eye, and the crew ducked from her stare and raised their hands in salute when she passed. When night fell and Finn retired to her cabin, she collapsed into bed. She was exhausted from the effort of holding herself tense and stern, of wearing the mask and playing the part. But tired as she was, sleep eluded her. Her mind was filled with the madness of what her life had become. The road her life had taken, from orphan to ship's captain, seemed unbelievable. She traced each small step one to another, amazed at how each one had brought her further from home, further from Peter, and nearer to this stranger's sea. She was adrift, caught in an uncharted current that took her wherever it willed while she clung to the gunnels of her life and tried to hold on. But she also felt that the nature of that journey was changing. She was no longer just holding on for survival. She was at the helm. For the first time, she could steer herself where she wanted to go. She could direct her course and find her own way in the wind. The thought troubling her mind was that she didn't know where she wanted to go anymore. Did she want to go home, to Peter? Or was it the freedom of the sea she wanted? As she lay awake, she saw many roads stretching out before her. Some wound and circled and intersected with others, or ended abruptly, having reached, it seemed, no destination at all. Others ran straight and true toward points unknown. She imagined herself walking forward, and many of the roads faded away. They flickered and vanished. And with each step, others appeared, making new intersections and dashing toward the horizon like unfurling ribbons. But as she moved forward, one road alone stood out. It was sharp, crisp, and wide, and it led into the heart of a distant storm, a storm named Tripoli. As if in answer to her thoughts, thunder sent a shudder rolling through the ship. The first pattering of rain dappled the deck as Finn escaped into sleep. She drifted away, and it grew to a roar.